Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. Lee Martin's terrorizing a small western town. Liberty Valance, the toughest man south of the picket wire. Next to me. But John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart are determined to bring him to justice. What kind of man are you? This kind, dude. You better start packing a handgun. I don't want to kill him. I want to put him in jail. Out here, a man settles his own problems. Pilgrim! I hate tricks, Pilgrim. But that's what you're up against with Valance. He's almost as fast as I am. I don't like tricks myself, so that makes us even. Either you get out of town, or tonight you'll be out in that street alone. John Ford's Western Classic, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to cover the movie The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance from 1962. The studio is Paramount Pictures. The release date was April 22nd, 1962. The running time, 123 minutes, and it was in black and white. The budget, $3.2 million, and the box office took in $8 million, which is the equivalent of $68.5 million today. Leonard Maltin from his classic movie guide gives it 4 out of 4 stars. His quick little synopsis is, A tenderfoot lawyer, James Stewart, helps civilize the West, but needs the help from the he-man, John Wayne, to do so. Panned and patronized upon original release, but now regarded as an American classic, one of the great Westerns. Rotten Tomatoes gives it 93% fresh from 45 reviews. Their critics' consensus is, Featuring a trio of classic leading men and a rich story captured by a director at the peak of his craft, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance is one of the finest westerns ever filmed. Now, I don't recall when I first saw this film, but it had to be when I was in my 20s, when I started to really appreciate the classic westerns more and more. And as Leonard Malden and Rotten Tomatoes, their consensus kind of stated, this is truly one of the greatest westerns ever made, and that truly holds up extremely well today. And if you're looking for a movie to really test the waters for the genre, I believe this is it. All right, let's get into the main cast. Of course, you have John Wayne playing Tom Donovan. And Wayne was at the height of his popularity at this point in 1962, and basically a living legend for Hollywood, and his career started all the way back in the 1920s. His films almost always did extremely well at the box office, and he really wielded a lot of power in the business. And his most notable films up to this point were Stagecoach, Red River, Sands of Iwo Jima, The Quiet Man, Hondo, The Searchers, Rio Bravo, and The Alamo. James Stewart plays Ransom Stoddard, and I've covered a lot of Stewart's career in other episodes like Anatomy of a Murder and The Philadelphia Story and It's a Wonderful Life, which was released a few weeks ago. And like John Wayne, Stewart was Hollywood royalty at this point, and his best-known films, of course, It's a Wonderful Life, uh, through uh, Liberty Valance, included Rope, uh, The Stratton Story, Winchester 73, Harvey, Rear Window, The Man Who Knew Too Much, The Spirit of St. Louis, Vertigo, Bell Book and Candle, Anatomy of Murder, and The FBI Story, all worth watching. 
Lee Marvin plays Liberty Valance, and Marvin's career started after he was discharged from the military after World War II, and he appeared on a lot of TV shows in the 50s. But he had memorable roles in he- as heavies in movies as well, like The Big Heat with Glenn Ford and The Wild One with Marlon Brando. And Liberty Valance would be Marvin's big break film-wise, and it really put his name on the map in Hollywood. Though he was a star of the show M-Squad on television, but there was a big separation between TV and film back in those days. Film stars definitely wielded much more power. Vera Miles plays Hallie Stoddard, and this would be one of Miles' most memorable film roles in a career that lasted from the 50s all the way through the 80s. Her big movie break was in the John Wayne and John Ford film The Searchers, and she would appear in multiple Alfred Hitchcock movies like The Wrong Man with Henry Fonda, and then of course Psycho playing the sister of Janet Lee. She also plays James Stewart's wife in The FBI Story. The director, John Ford, and in a bit I will get into what John Ford was going through at the time of this film, but Ford was one of the most acclaimed directors in Hollywood history, without a doubt, and was instrumental in making John Wayne a star. In total, Wayne and Ford made 23 films together. So Ford's career started in 1917, directing short films, and he was often credited by the name of Jack Ford. He then transitioned to silent feature films in the early 1920s. And Ford's career moved upward, but the big break for both him and Wayne was, of course, 1939's Stagecoach, which was a huge success. His other notable films, and many with Henry Fonda, included The Young Mr. Lincoln, Grapes of Wrath, How Green Was My Valley, My Darling Clementine, The Quiet Man, Mr. Roberts, and The Searchers. Okay, let's get into the making of the film. So in the 1950s and early 60s, westerns by far were the most popular genre, especially on television. Part of that might have been by design by the studios who were deciding to forget about the current topics that were happening at the time and instead decided to go way back to an era not experienced by the current generation, almost like taking a fantasy approach like today with you know Harry Potter and, and the dystopia films. And this was somewhat based on a real era, meaning the Old West. In Hollywood, the system was changing too, because actors and directors were no longer contractually owned by the studio system exclusively, and more and more were becoming, you know, free agents, who they could sign with any studio that they wished, sort of like sports teams. And part of this was due to the advent and popularity of television. Movies no longer had a monopoly on entertainment. Director John Ford was considered old by Hollywood standards, though he was only in his mid-60s at the time. And his last few films didn't do as well as his past successes, so he was having a tough time finding a studio to fund Liberty Valance. And Liberty Valance is based on a short story written by Dorothy Johnson. The main difference in the film version, which the writers and Ford adjusted from the short story, was that John Wayne's character was not the guardian angel type as he was portrayed in the original story. Ford and the writers essentially removed this aspect and added a few key instances where James Stewart's character's life is forever altered by Wayne's actions, and the John Wayne character wasn't as proactive in helping Stewart's character in the film compared to the short story. John Wayne at the time had a 10-picture deal with Paramount, and almost always his films were super successful at the box office, not just in the United States, but also internationally, which was key. It took Paramount a while to get on board with the film that John Ford wanted to make, even though Ford had a terrific cast assembled and even financed part of the film himself. The problem with Paramount taking their sweet time was that John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart's agents were getting restless about having their actors, you know, sort of sit on their hands for months waiting for a go or no-go from Paramount. John Ford was frustrated that he no longer had the clout he once did, and as it turns out, without John Wayne on board, the film likely would have never been made. This also frustrated Ford, who had all of these accolades for his past work, 
but now it's an actor who holds the key to whether his film gets made or not. Another complication was the budget, because the era of shooting westerns cheaply was a thing of the past due to the high salaries from the stars in the film, and this film had two major stars. Also, Ford was becoming crankier in his old age, not to mention that he would go on drinking binges for months at a time. This didn't help matters in allowing confidence from a studio, no matter what you did in your past. So, it's always, what have you done for me lately? And really, this is John Ford's last great film. Ford was a minimalist when shooting, as were most great directors of this era. This meant he would only shoot what was needed. Future directors would end up going the opposite way, shooting every single thing and then editing later. Ford felt this was a waste of time and money. And Ford felt these type of directors who shoot everything forget the most important thing, the story. And instead, they fall in love with the camera. That's definitely true today with five-hour movies that they have to cut down, and it's still three hours long. John Ford also felt that by shooting too much with multiple angles of the same shot, that it would also tire out the actors, and that harmed the spontaneity and the level of performance he got out of them. Another thing that the film had going against it at the time was that Ford preferred to shoot in black and white. Hollywood and television were shifting more towards color and wanted to get more product in color, but Ford really wanted an old-fashioned looking western, and he did get his wish. And you really have to be at the top of your game to film in black and white because the use of shadows and shades, whereas color, can easily hide things. And there's a tone that can be set in black and white that is lost in color. For example, the melancholy feel of Liberty Valance is so perfect for black and white, it would kind of feel artificial in color. And this also would be Ford's last black and white film. Now, John Wayne is a much better actor than some give him credit for, much like Quinn Eastwood. Both of them could do more with a look in a scene than they could sometimes giving a line of dialogue. Acting isn't just how you present the script verbally, but also physically. And Wayne often never got his just due, partly because the Western genre wasn't considered highbrow to the you know bourgeoisie elites watching films. The other thing is some felt that Wayne wasn't acting at all, that he was just being himself. In reality, that showed what a terrific actor he was. He made it look like he wasn't acting. He had a presence that not many actors could portray, especially his power. Interestingly enough, many of the key players in the film served in the military. John Ford, James Stewart, Lee Marvin, Woody Strode, but ironically John Wayne didn't. And Ford would use this to kind of shame Wayne when working with him. It was almost like a psychological warfare, so that Ford could exude his dominance over Wayne to display that he was really the boss on set. So, like, you're a movie hero, but not a real hero. And he also would berate John Wayne about his failed football career at USC. Uh, John Wayne had a number of injuries which prevented him from truly becoming the talent he was. Now, Woody Strode, who played Pompey in the film, actually played at UCLA with Jackie Robinson in the late 1930s and eventually played professionally for the Los Angeles Rams in the late 1940s, and he was one of the first professional black football players. Now, John Wayne did actually try to enlist in the military during World War II, but was deferred due to his age. He was 34 at the time. Plus, the studios didn't want to lose their cash cow, and this put Wayne in a difficult situation, and it always haunted him personally. However, no matter how Ford treated Wayne, Wayne always thought of him like a father figure and a mentor. And no matter how Ford might have berated him, he always adored him because he felt he owed his career to John Ford. Lee Marvin, on the other hand, was touted by John Wayne after they worked together on the Comancheros and got him on the film. And he was the perfect actor to play the heavy. Lee Marvin was in the Marines during World War II, which Ford admired as a military person himself. 
Now, Marvin was seriously wounded in battle and got into acting after recovering. And Marvin had an authenticity to his acting, which definitely came across on screen. Marvin took his military background into acting as he used the discipline and respect traits when he filmed a movie. He understood authority and he would respect the director for the greater good of the film. He worked together as a team for the greater good and he appreciated this with John Ford. Liberty Valance was really the first time Marvin's great talents would get noticed, as before he would play villains, but he was almost always the secondary villain, not the leader, and this film made him a star, and he would just get bigger and bigger roles. Alright, let's get into the film. It begins with a train pulling up to the station at a town named Shinbone. Senator Ransom Stoddard is James Stewart, and his wife Hallie, played by Vera Miles. They exit the trainer and met by Link Appleyard, played by Andy Devine. Link has kept the arrival of Rance, as his friends call him, and Hallie a secret. However, a man who works at a local newspaper happened to be at the station and quick and word quickly spreads of the senator's arrival. Rance meets briefly with the local paper to give an interview about his arrival to Shinbone, and he explains he's in town on a personal matter to attend the funeral of a man named Tom Donovan. Uh, maybe you'd like to... Where is Boots? Oh, well, I thought, uh, well, they was an awful nice pair of boots, uh, almost brand new, and I thought... Put his they... boots on, Clute, and his gun belt, and his spurs. He didn't carry no handgun rants, he didn't for years. Yeah, sure. Sir, I don't wish to intrude, but a United States Senator is news. I'm the editor of a newspaper with a statewide circulation. I've got a responsibility to know why you came all the way down here to bury a man. Now, you can't just say his name was Tom Donovan and leave it at that. Who was Tom Donovan? He was a friend, Mr. Scott, and we'd like to be left alone. Scott, let's go. Let's... I'm sorry, Senator. That's not enough. I have a right to have the story. Yes, I guess maybe I have. Rance decides to give his story to the editor of the paper, and this is where the majority of the film is told entirely in flashbacks. The tale goes back 25 years, as Rance was a young attorney looking to head out west and open up a law practice. However, while on his journey, his stagecoach is held up by an outlaw named Liberty Valance, of course played by Lee Marvin. I'm just a youngster, fresh out of law school, bag full of law books and my father's gold watch. $14.80 in cash. I had taken Horace Greeley's advice literally. Go west, young man, go west. 
and seek fame, fortune, adventure. Stand and deliver. Shotgun, shuck your shells. Throw out our cash box. Now! All right, get the passengers out of the coach. Like slim passenger pickings, but lift their wallets anyway. I'll take that pin, too. Oh, no, please, please. My dead husband gave it to me. Please. Oh, a widow woman, huh? I'll take it anyway. Will you take your hands off? What kind of man are you? This kind, dude. <laughs> Now, what kind of man are you, dude? I'm an attorney at law. And I'm duly licensed by the territory. And you may have us on your guns now, but I'll see you in jail for this. Jail? Stop Get him out of here! Don't kill him! Get in that coat! Oh, Go on, move! Get in there! You too! Come on, inside! We'll send them flowers. Chico, cut the leaders. Put that stuff in here and get to your horses. Hurry. What? Law. teach you law. Western law. Come on, let's get out of here. Come on. Come on. James Stewart initially had a tough time getting out his lines for his passionate speech to Marvin, and John Ford went up to Stewart and calmly told him, you're not a coward. How would you talk to this sort of man if you were in this situation? And Stewart took this and nailed the scene. So after taking a vicious beating, Rance is found by Tom Donovan, played by John Wayne, and his partner Pompey, played by Woody Strode. And he's brought to the town of Chinbone to recover with the help of Hallie, who is Tom's girlfriend at the time. 
Allie runs a small eatery in town with a Swedish couple, Nora and Peter. What 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 did you say his name was? The the man with the silver knobbed whip. I said Liberty Valance. <gasps> but if that's what you gotta do, you better start packing a handgun. A gun? I I don't want a gun. I don't want a gun. I don't want to kill him. I want to put him in jail. Oh. Well, I know those law books mean a lot to you, but not out here. Out here, a man settles his own problems. No, but do you, do you know what you're saying to me? You know, you're, you're saying just exactly what Liberty Valance said. What kind of a community have I come to? You all seem to know about this fellow Liberty Valance. He's a no-good, gun-packing, murdering thief. But the only advice you can give to me is to carry a gun. Well, I'm a lawyer. Ransom Stoddard, attorney at law. And the law is the only... The only... A little law and order around Shinbone wouldn't hurt anyone. The marshal of the town is Link Appleyard, the guy who Rance met at the train station to begin the film. Link is a kind but kind of bumbling sort of fellow. Not someone who commands a lot of confidence or respect as a lawman, and he really has no desire to tussle with Liberty Valance. Now, Tom doesn't respect Rance's quote-unquote tenderfoot attitude, as his book learning won't help against a lawless criminal like Valance. Rance decides to repay the kindness of Howie by working in the restaurant as a dishwasher. However, he's not a great worker due to his mind trying to figure out ways to put Liberty Valance in jail through law precedents. Goodness, Rance, aren't you finished yet? Here, no wonder if you don't keep your mind on it. Let me help you. Allie, I found it. Here, I'll show you. Now, my hands are too wet. No, you, you get the book. Come on, take the book a minute. Nora, Peter, come here. I want you to hear this. Get the book. Now, that place right here where it says, under the law of this territory... Hell, you read it out loud. I got Liberty Valance just exactly where I want it. Just exactly where I want it. What's the matter? Go ahead, read it. I can't. What? You, well, why not? Well, I never had the school, and that's why not. You mean you can't read it all? No. I can't read. And I can't write. Here, take your book. No, for heaven's sakes, is Mr. Peabody's order ready yet? Oh, no. Not enough beans on it. Holly, I'm sorry. Holly, I, I could teach you. What for? What good has reading and writing done you? Look at you, in an apron. Be right with you, boy. I guess I do look kind of funny in this thing. I didn't mean to hurt her. Oh, she gets over it. Besides what is reading and writing for a girl, she make a wonderful wife, Hallie, for the man she marries. Yeah, and if Tom Donovan is smart, he pops the question to Hallie before some busybody I am married to upsets his uh, wagon apple. Oh, you. You go sit down and eat your supper before coming to drugs. Well, I'm not finished here. Go sit down, eat. 
Do you think I could? I, I mean, grown up and all. Do you think I could learn to read? Why, sure you can, Hallie. Why, it, there's nothing to it. It'd be, it'd be easy. Can you learn how to read? Why, I can, I can teach you. A smart girl like you, of course you can learn how to read. Now, do you want to try? Well, it's awful worrisome not knowing how. I know the good book from Preacher Talk, but it'd be a sole comfort if I could read the words myself. Hallie, I'll teach you how to... In, in, in no time, you'll be reading everything. <laughs> well... Hallie, can I have just one more steak? One steak on the cuff! me to read and write. Teach me to read and write. D teach me to read and write. I cannot say my OVSA in Swedish. Maybe you can teach me in English. Why, sure, Nora. You can be my second pupil. Hal, I'll be my first pupil. You'll be my second pupil. <laughs> Peter, you hear that? Peter! <laughs> well, Pilgrim, I see you're still protecting the ladies. Why, Tom, look at you. You're all dressed up. Well, it was Saturday night. Why don't you look handsome? Oh, uh, Hallie, I brought you a little present. Tom. Prettiest cactus rose I ever did see. My, it is a beauty. Look at it, Nora. Should look nice in your garden. Oh, but it should go in the ground right now, and I'm going to Let me plant that for you, Miss Hallie. I'll be pleased Oh, to. thank you, Pompey. Oh, the hash knife group just arrived. Burn eight. Oh, not too close to the Arcatillo bush, Pompey. Yes, ma'am. Ransom Stoddard, attorney at law. You're a persistent cuss, Pilgrim. You really aim to hang that up outside somewhere? That's why I painted it. Well, take some advice, Pilgrim. You put that thing up, you'll have to defend it with a gun. And you ain't exactly the type. In the meantime, the real coward is the marshal. He's carefully going around town trying not to run into Liberty Valance. He has absolutely no desire to arrest him, even if he has jurisdiction. The other interesting character in this town is the editor of the local paper named Dutton Peabody, played by Edmund O'Brien. He's kind of a bit like the marshal. He doesn't really want to ruffle any feathers and doesn't do much about the lawlessness when it arises in town. Now, the night is going fine, of course, until Liberty Valance and his gang arrive at the restaurant. Rans, when you finish the dishes, will you help Hallie wait on tables? Sure. Papa, washing dishes is enough for him. Who ever heard of a man waiting on tables? Well, no, that's all right. I'd be glad to help. Be glad to. I thought we was busy. Well, these steaks look done just right for us. You cow hands ain't no hurry to eat, are you? Huh? Well, are you? 
I guess we could do with another drink. Well, now, that's right neighborly of you, partner. Especially after all the lying things I hear folks been saying about Liberty Valley. Oh, wait a minute. One of Mama's pies for Tom. The new waitress. <laughs> That's my steak, Valance. Well, you heard him, dude. Pick it up. Pilgrim, hold it. I said you, Valance. You pick it up. Three against one, Donovan. My boy, Pompey. The kitchen door. I'll get it, Liberty. I said you, Liberty. You pick it up. What's the matter? Everybody in this country killed crazy? Here! you get yourself a fresh steak on me. Show's over for now. Try it, Liberty. Just try it. Well, get out! Man, the wealth of talent in this film was definitely on display in this last scene because this is where you have all three stars just chewing up the scene. It's impossible to say who steals the show because they all complement each other, but as I've always said, without a strong villain, a film sort of falls flat, and Lee Marfin is despicably perfect in this role. So Rance is indignant over the notion that nothing can be achieved peacefully in Shinbone without people waving their guns around, and as Rance puts it, all over a measly stake. His value system of law and order through the justice system is being put to the test in this town. Rance, I'm sorry. Peter, I'm not in the habit of eating my steak on the floor. Well, cool off, Pilgrim. It's all over. Nobody got hurt. It is not all over, and everybody here knows it. He'll be back. 
He sure will, but not after me. After you, Pilgrim. And you can't shoot back with a law book, Mr. Stoddard. What Mr. Peabody's trying to say is that if you want to stay healthy, there's two ways to do it. Either I buy a gun or get out of the territory. Is that what he meant? That's it, Pilgrim. Yeah, by golly. Personally, I'd hate to see you go. You're news, Mr. Stoddard. And you've been news ever since you hit this town. Ransom Stoddard, attorney at law. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings out there. Hey, I'll tell you what. You decide to stick around and uh, I'll let you hang this thing outside the newspaper office, rent-free, for as long as it lasts. No. No. The first time Liberty Valance rides into town, he'll shoot it to pieces. And the whole newspaper office with it. How about that, Mr. Peabody? Well, uh, that'd be news. (laughs) I accept your offer, Mr. Peabody. How about letting me hang up that shingle tomorrow? Huh? Tomorrow? Uh, well, of course. <laughs> I can. Why not? <laughs> I'm staying and I'm not buying a gun either. Well, good luck, Pilgrim. Oh, uh, Hallie, I'll be out of town for a while. Nor the picket wire. Horse trading. Goodbye, Tom. Oh, and take note of what goes on around town. Because by the time I get back, there won't be no newspaper to read it in. Well, what's interesting about this last scene is the sentiment kind of still rings true in modern times. I see both sides here and understand both points. How do you lawfully reason with people who have no respect for civilized law? You may have to fight fire with fire. On the other hand, if that's how you deal with everything, it's complete chaos. There's got to be a middle ground. And society still struggles with this notion even today. Rance tries to set up a law practice in town, but finds it difficult to get any clients. He helps Peabody with the paper with scoops of town news, but he's also teaching the townspeople how to read by setting up proper English classes. And here we see the values of a modern society, as education is always the foundation of a community. Rance knows this and understands the more town folk that are able to read and write and process the basic freedoms the United States offers, the better the town will be in the long run. Education is the basis of law and order, and that's what Rance has written on the chalkboard. For the benefit of those who are just starting, uh, none of us in here smoke, Mr. Crothers. Thank you. Uh, for those of you who have just started, I uh, might explain to you that we've begun the school by studying about our country and uh, how it's governed. Now, let's see. Well, I'm Nora. Uh, would you tell the class what you learned about the United States? The United States is a republic and the republic is a state in which the people are the boss that means us and if the big shots in Washington don't do like we vote we don't vote for them by God that's just fine now I wonder if anybody in class remembers what the basic law of the land is called. 
Now, you remember I told you that it had to be added to and changed from time to time by things called amendments. Now, does anybody remember? Oh, Leanna, your hand's always up. Here, let, let's... Poppy, you, you try this one. It was written by Mr. Thomas Jefferson of Virginia. It was written, Poppy. Written by Mr. Thomas Jefferson. And he called it the Constitution. Declaration of Independence. Uh, it begun with the words, uh, we hold these truths to be... Uh, self-evident. Let them alone, Charlie. Uh, self-evident that, uh, that... That all men are created equal. That's fine, Pompey. I knew that, Mr. Ranch, but I just plumb forgot it. Oh, that's all right, Pompey. A lot of people forget that part of it. You did just fine, Pompey. Thank you, Mr. Ranch. Now, this law of the land also states that the governing power rests with the electorate. The electorate. Now, that means you. That means the people. And you exercise this power through the vote. Now, uh, yeah. Con permiso, los gentlemen. Uh, oh! The interesting part about the last scene is that there is a subtle comment made by Rance which is actually very powerful. When Pompey forgets the part about everyone being created equal, Rance has a subtle retort that a lot of people forget that part. And I really feel that was a statement against racism and bigotry, and considering that Pompey is black, it's even more of a telling statement. And I'm really glad that the film chose to put in this scene, especially back in 1962. Unfortunately for Rance, his efforts to educate the town is often met with opposition from Tom, as he's actually trying to keep a war from starting with Liberty Valance and his men. Again, this sort of conflict is the brilliance of the film. Neither man is wrong here. Rance is thinking about the big picture and the future of the town. However, Tom is trying to make sure there is a future by not having the town overrun by criminals. If the paper starts writing articles about how Valance and his gang are racketeering the cattle trade, this will start a war. However, if the townspeople stay blind to this fact and simply let Valance have his way, the town is doomed as well. As much as Rance despises having to own or carry a gun, even he realizes that he may need one if he's in a bind, and he begins to practice his shooting. Step down, Pilgrim. Take a look. Well, all right, Tom. <laughs> what are you trying to tell me? I'm telling you that Hallie's my girl. I'm building that brand new room and porch for her for when we get married. Well, Tom, I guess everybody pretty much takes that for granted. Everybody except Hallie. Maybe you. Now, that's a damn lie, and you know it. Well, then why did she come to me back there fretting herself sick because you were going to get yourself killed facing up to Liberty of Valance? I never told her that. Well, Peabody did. I think you're bluffing. I'm not bluffing about anything. Wait a minute, Tom. What? what? Pompey, bring two or three of those paint cans. Carrying a gun, ain't you? Yes, I have a Get gun. it. Come on. All right, gunslinger. 
Get that can. Pretty far. Pilgrim. You no, got to cock it first. I, I forgot. Balance it light in your hand. And don't jerk the trigger. Squeeze. Oh, no, you don't have to coach me. Bring me those cans. Give me that thing. I'll show you how easy it is. Take these cans, put them on those three posts. Go ahead. That's it, that first post. There? That's right. On the far post. That's right. Now put that last one in the middle. Pilgrim! Tricks, Pilgrim. But that's what you're up against with Valance. He's almost as fast as I am. I don't like tricks myself, so that makes us even. Hey, Pilgrim. You forgot your pop gun. <laughs> Even though he's a horrible shot, Rance has skills nobody else in town could ever pull off, like organizing the first town election as the town exercises their right to vote. Since our legal authority closed the bar on us, I propose that Ransom Stoddard, attorney at law, come up here and run this meeting for us. I second the motion. I think it. you all want, I, I can show you the rules. The uh, meeting will come to order. Let's settle down, please, huh? Uh, Mr. Peabody, would you like to keep a record of the meeting? Oh, now, Rance, please. I, there are other men. Uh, give me a drink, will bar's you? Just, closed. just a beer. A bar's A closed. beer's not drinking. Before we get started, would I'd like you to sit make down, doctor, please. The election is to pick two delegates to represent the territory for a request of statehood at a convention. The issue is that the cattle hands wanted to keep the territory in open range, but the people who live in town want statehood, and they want to be represented and acknowledged and protected federally by the government, which means progress for the future with farms and schools. 
Initially, Rance nominated Tom to represent the territory. However, Tom rejects the nomination because he's more interested in getting married to Hallie. Unfortunately, Liberty Valance shows up to nominate himself as a delegate even though he doesn't even live in the territory. And by the way, part of Valance's gang is the great Lee Van Cleef, who plays Reese. So, the nominations are Rance, Peabody, and Liberty Valance. Rance allowed Valance to be nominated. Valance tries his typical intimidation tactics by threatening the voters in the room that if they don't vote for him, they'll pay for it later. The town finally decides to stand up against Valance and votes unanimously for Rance and Peabody, while nobody but the two in Valance's gang vote for him. For once, Valance is defeated without the use or threat of a gun. However, Valance won't take this defeat lying down and essentially threatens Rance with a duel come sundown. That night, Rance is set to leave for the statehood convention, and a drunken Peabody arrives back to his newspaper office only to find Valance and his gang waiting for him. They beat Peabody badly and destroy his office. Valance then whips Peabody repeatedly and leaves him for dead. Rance finds Peabody unconscious but still alive. Finally, at his breaking point, Rance decides to have it out with Valance. Rance grabs his gun and goes looking for him. Now, I've debated whether or not to continue at this point because I feel that most listeners of this podcast probably haven't seen the film, so I really can't spoil the outcome. Granted, the title sort of gives hints, but there's much more in the final 30 minutes than you would ever imagine. So as I mentioned earlier, this is one of the greatest westerns ever made, and much of the subject matter and conflict covered in the film still rings true today. It's much deeper than most westerns, which I believe why it still holds up well today. The acting in the film is top-notch, that any film buff, even if you're not a big fan of westerns, should enjoy this film for the acting alone. And I will leave you with this brilliant last line. Well, you know the rest of it. I went to Washington. We won statehood. I became the first governor. Three terms as governor. Two terms in the Senate. Ambassador to the court of St. James. Back again to the Senate. And a man who, with a snap of his fingers, could be the next Vice President of the United States. Well, you're not going to use the story, Mr. Scott? No, sir. This is the West, sir. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. Isn't it funny how so many years later, the fine line between truth and illusion is still hard to grasp for the media? Interestingly enough, at the time, the critics viewed the film as tired and outdated in just another Western. Ironically, it was actually ahead of its time. So much for what critics think and the revisionist history. All right, some fun facts. Today, when you hear John Wayne impressions, they often use the term, Hey, Pilgrim. Crazy enough, this was the first film that John Wayne actually used this term. And speaking of language, Liberty Valance addresses several characters as dude. From the 1870s to 1960s, this was a pejorative term with the approximate meaning of an overdressed city slicker, usually applied to city dwellers visiting rural areas. But in the 1960s, surfer culture adapted the term to mean friend or a companion. All right, we have many people who enjoy this film, so usually we have two special guests. Today we have three. We start with Joseph Staub, who I also guessed it on his podcast, which will eventually be released, I'm hoping, in the new year. 
where we talk about our favorite John Wayne films. So definitely had to have Joseph Staub on for The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Also Bill Roseberry, who is a writer and, and loves this film. And then the great Eric Sinzak, who is also a movie buff and enjoys this film as well. So we get all three. Now, I will warn you, I'm trying to remember, because you know we do these interviews and I, you know, <laughs> kinda, I don't want to say I quickly forget them. But, you know, I do a lot of interviews, so I'm not sure if we talk about spoilers or not, so it's possible we do, so keep that in mind. So you might want to watch the film first if you're, if you don't want to be surprised about what, you know, you want to be surprised about what happens, watch the film and uh, come back and then listen to the interviews. If you don't care and you watch the film no matter what, then carry on and enjoy the interviews with these three great guests, and I will be back next week with yet another random movie from my DVD collection. All right, we're back with Joseph Staub. Welcome back, Joseph. Thanks again for having me, Brian. It's always a always a pleasure. Well, we we like to kind of go around. We, like we choose a lot of different movies with you. Most of the time they're older. Uh, this one is older, but it's not like from the 30s. This one's from the 60s. They're early 60s, and this I believe is the first western we've done. And it's the Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Um, when I had I was going through my list of what I had coming up, this one was another one that kind of uh, you know piqued your interest. So, what about Who Shot Liberty Valance really stood out for you? And is it one that you had heard about for years, or is it um, you know how, how did you stumble upon this? So, I thanks to my both my grandfather and my father, I'm a very very big John Wayne fan, Western mm-hmm. fan in general. My grandpa is constantly like. I'm pretty sure the Encore Western Channel does not leave his television. Like, I'm <laughs> pretty sure, like unless it's like the news or like sports, it's the Encore Western Channel. Ah, okay. It's all the time. I have always been really fascinated with westerns and with John Wayne, and this is a film that I really I, has I, has always been around for me, even though I hadn't necessarily seen it till a little bit later in my John Wayne career, I'd call it, but um. I've had my family's had this on VHS for my entire life. Like this has been something that's always been around for me. Yeah, I mean, and then of course, as I sort of got older, Jimmy Stewart mm-hmm. really, really came into my came into my uh, repertoire as a an actor, and just so many films that he is in, all the Alfred Hitchcock movies that he was in, mm-hmm. and of course this and so much else, but. This movie is definitely something that stands out for me in terms of Western films because it was one of the only times, if not the only time, other than Jimmy Stewart's role in The Shootist, that uh, John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart collaborated, which I really, really find interesting because like, you would think, even though Jimmy Stewart wasn't as known for Westerns, he still did a good amount of Westerns. He did, absolutely. Um, So I I really enjoy it for that, and also I just think it's an amazing film. And it brings together so, so many legendary actors and actresses. I mean, you got John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart, Vera Miles, Lee Marvin, yep. Andy Devine, John Carradine, uh, Denver Pyle, who, uh, of course, I know from The Andy Griffith Show. But um, mm-hmm. Strother Martin's in this. Lee Van Cleef's in this. Yep. So many big names of the Western genre. And, of course, just film in general, because, of course, like Vera Miles, Psycho. Um, yep. So many other huge films that all these people were in. It was just I, I couldn't not fall in love with this movie. I think what also helps in and this is a credit to John Ford is that they did shoot it in black and white. Yes. And this was towards the you know, this is when everyone everything was starting to go into color now. And I'm not sure as good as the movie is, actually as great as the movie is, I'm not sure it would have been as powerful if it was in color. 
I, I agree because sort of like in doing my research on this, this was I mean, this was definitely a calculated decision to do it in black and white because John Ford was a very early adapter of Technicolor. Right. Even as early as the late 40s with She Wore Yellow Ribbon and then, of course, The Searchers in 56 were both in color and mm-hmm. both of them much better for it. Um, I don't know, like you said, I don't know if this film would have been as powerful if it would have been in color, which a lot of this era of John Wayne was so powerful because it was in color. So right. films like Rio Bravo around this era, El Dorado, True Grit, mm-hmm. all of them in color and all of them very powerful for being in color with the landscapes and all that. This film is not about that. This is much more a Jimmy Stewart film than a John Wayne film, I'd say. Oh, absolutely. This definitely. Is, John Wayne is almost sort of like a second thought in this movie, which is weird to say is as important of a character as he is. He is the man who shot Liberty Valance. Right. But this, this movie is entirely about Jimmy Stewart. And that is and because of that, it is not the typical shoot 'em up John Wayne Western. It is the much more cerebral, character-driven Jimmy Stewart film. Yeah, and that's great. And that's a great point. And and we, to get into, I think this movie, because a lot of older movies, some of them hold up really well. I, I, this is one that absolutely holds up well today because we're still discussing some of these themes today. You know, you have Jimmy Stewart who comes into town. He is absolutely about education and and teaching people and making sure the town is as educated as possible. And you have the other side where you have John Wayne's The Old School, where it's not that he doesn't value education, but he he values you know a good hard day's work and it may not have time to go and and actually you know read your books. And so you kind of have this brawn that you need sometimes to get things done when you have a, a villain like Liberty Valance. But to even get to the point where you can actually, you know, get all these people together to become like, uh, you know, uh, you know, go to Congress to, to make your land uh, uh, a statehood. You need Jimmy Stewart to be able to do that, you know, without just uh, shooting up a bunch of people and taking over land. So it's it's funny how all these years later, we're still going through these kind of debates. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting. I think and especially like the, the, the main thrust of the film being about the drive for statehood and the rights of these people. Right. Which, unfortunately, with with some of the sort of issues we've been facing as a society in more recent years with women's suffrage Mm -hmm. and and the civil rights movement and and the rights of minorities in America. Yep. That is an issue that sort of has sort of lessened in importance, even though this was an issue that was very important at the time because these people did not have a voice. They didn't have their rights were not being upheld and their voice was not being heard even though their interests were very different than the interest of the people back east. Right. So it, it, it's, it's very, it's very interesting, the, the sort of the themes that are present in this film, to look at them today in that sort of a light. Yeah, and, and I loved, you know, how he opened up the little school, and, you know, there is knowledge and power, you know, but there's power and knowledge. And so the, the fact that they could read now and they could understand what they're doing, and, and John Wayne kind of mocked it, but when you had, you know, Pompey, who worked for uh, John Wayne in the, in the movie, and Vera Miles was also learning, like, they started to gain some confidence in things that they didn't have to just rely on people that um, use their brawn instead of their brain. I, yeah. I, th- I, re- I really found that sort of powerful as well. Just sort of all, the scene where everyone kind of scoffs at James Jimmy Stewart mm-hmm. initially, but then by the next day or so, 
pretty much the entire town is in there studying with him. That's right. And he he's sort of taken aback by that. And it's sort of it's really interesting because as the entire film is told from his perspective in a flashback, I think just him reflecting on all these things is really interesting because you really you, the whole film is his emotions and his point of view and the way he reacts to all these things. And that's what makes it such a different film from the kind of films that I'm used to seeing John Wayne in. Yeah. And the other great part is they don't they don't really take one side one way or the other, because as much as, uh, you know, Jimmy Stewart, you value what he was trying to bring. You still need that that tough guy, that John Wayne, because all your book learning won't mean a thing if if Liberty Valance comes in with a gun. <laughs> so it, it's kind of a nice balance where you need a little bit of both. And if they can both kind of synchronize, you could have something there. And I think that also kind of has like the point about how there is that line where uh, Jimmy Stewart wants to take his name off the ballot because he thinks he killed a man. Yeah. And where John Wayne comes in and says, no, I, I did it. Yeah. You don't need to worry. It's sort of like drawing that line where there is these two different worlds and they really don't mix, but both of them are necessary. Yeah. What are some of the other things that really stand out in this film for you? Um, just, just the acting, just the character actors in this film. Like I had mentioned earlier, like Lee Marvin's portrayal of Liberty Valance and Andy Devine is like the bumbling Marshall. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> Edmund O'Brien's and, and, and great. Edmund yeah. O'Brien as, as the newsman and yep. just every, everybody, even just John Carradine's little role and all this different stuff. It, it just really, really, it's such a good ensemble film, which is what a lot of John Wayne films were known for. He had his sort of he, his traditional cast. I mean, a lot of these people are traditional John Wayne actors, which is why you'd see, like I mentioned earlier in The Shootist, you had Jimmy Stewart coming back. Um, John Carradine's in that. So many of these character actors that were present throughout so many John Wayne films mm-hmm. are in this film and come back so much later in his career as well. Yeah. And I think you can't really understate Lee Marvin here because with all these movies, if you don't have a strong villain, like as good as John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart are, it's not going to work as well. And Lee Marvin is so like vile as Liberty Valance. It's it's actually perfect. And I I think that is exactly the point that his his villain is perfect and that that he is not even not that necessarily even that he doesn't understand. He's not trying to understand. He, He doesn't care. No, and that, that's the best part It's sort of like and you have these different the different kinds of like the Western villains. You have the one whose presence is kind of felt throughout the whole film, but you never really see him until very the very end. Right. So like something like Rio Bravo, you hear um, um, oh, God, what's his name in Rio Bravo? But the, the main villain who's sending all these henchmen after John Wayne and Dean Martin. Mm-hmm. But you never really see him until he rides into the town close to the end of the movie. But that's when really everything picks up. But that is still a very effective villain because his name and his presence is still felt. But right. then you have Marvin in this film, who's constantly sticking his head in and constantly poking and poking and poking. And that's just as effective. And that's like the different kinds of villains you see in Western movies, like High Noon. High Noon, you just the build up to the arrival of the villain is the whole point of the film. Right. No, and, but exactly. that's just as effective. Absolutely. But then you have the villains like this who are constantly there, constantly doing something to try to foil the heroes. And mm-hmm. I think that's just as effective in a completely different way. And that's why Lee Marvin is completely remembered as Liberty Valance. 
Yeah, definitely. Where would this rank in your, let's say, top five of, of favorite Westerns? Ooh. I mean, this is probably... I've never really thought about if it's in the top five. I know it's definitely in the top ten. Okay. Definitely in the top ten for both Jimmy Stewart and John Wayne and then Westerns in general. Um, so what are your top five Westerns then? Ooh. I mean... I'll put you on the spot. I would have to say probably... Rio Bravo is probably my number one Western of all time. Okay. Um, the Wild Bunch is in my top five, mm-hmm. I'd say. Uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Yep. It's hard to pick one of the Dollars trilogy. Yeah, it's like a lot of people pick the good, the bad, and the ugly, but I, I actually it's kind of bloated. <laughs> I picked for a few dollars more. Yeah, I agree. I, I each of them, each of them, uh, really have their strengths. I, yeah. I do kind of think good, bad, and ugly is pretty bloated. Yeah. Um, but I'd probably pick for a few dollars more as my favorite of those. Mm-hmm. Oh, and best, then, sound, best score is definitely good. Bad, oh, yeah. 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 Even though yeah. Ennio Morricone is great in all of them. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah. Um, for a fifth one, glancing back at my DVD collection here, <laughs> um, I'd probably go with the original True Grit as another one. Interesting. But I have there. It's hard to pick a top five for me because I there are so many westerns that I adore. Oh yeah. Like, it's hard to leave out this film and it's hard to leave out the shootist yep. and it's hard to leave out high noon. And it's hard to leave out uh, the other two of the dollars trilogy and hang them high and magnificent, magnificent seven. And all seven. Yep. Yep. It's, it's so hard to leave out. And plus there's some of the ones that people don't talk about. Like Shane is a great Western oh, yeah. film. My darling um, Clementine, my darling Clementine, which I have on my, um, my criterion, but yep. um, so many, so many Western films that it's just so hard to make a top five for me. And I think the the best later era one has to be Unforgiven. Oh, definitely of of, yeah. of the of the of the neo westerns. Yeah. But also, the remake of True Grit from the from oh Cohen, is phenomenal. In many ways, it's better, and that's kind of sacrilege. Yeah. But and, but uh, yeah. it, it's 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 equally it's it's different, but almost equally as good for me. Like yeah, for me, it, it just nostalgic value. I have to go with John Wayne, mm-hmm. but. That is how you make a phenomenal film and a phenomenal remake. Right. Coen Brothers True Grit. Yeah, they stand alone, and that's yes. the way it should be. And yep. it's a completely different film, completely different tone. Yep. And it's just, it's it's phenomenal in, in a completely different way. And I, you have to bring up Red River, too. I think Red Definitely. River's got to be in there. Yeah. A good earlier John Wayne movie. I forgot to mention The Searchers. There's, oh, too, yeah, and Stagecoach. <laughs> Stagecoach, of course, yeah. John, one of John Wayne's first starring roles. Yeah. So many of uh, the uh, um, John Ford's um, oh, yeah. trilogy. Yeah. Uh, yep. Ford Apache, She Wore a Real Ribbon, and um, either way. Um, but, like, yeah. those films. Um, but just, it's just so much. There is so, so much in the Western genre to enjoy. And it, it's a shame that it's sort of it's something that's lost in my generation and the generation probably right before me. And of course, anything after me that the Western is something that is sort of looked at as passe or in, in a lot of ways, um, un PC in a way. Cause it, it well, glorifies yeah. gun culture. Sure. It, it glorifies, uh, pre-civil rights culture. And there's a lot yep. of sort of mistreatment of African Americans and women and, women. and Pretty much everyone. <laughs> pretty much everybody except yeah. for uh, well, the, pretty much everybody. Everybody gets the, shot. Yeah, and, and Native Americans and everybody. But, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I, I really think that there is so much great filmmaking to be appreciated in the Western genre that people are really missing out on if they just sort of throw it all away as dated and 
and not PC. Absolutely. Cause, yeah, because back in the day, I mean, that that was the thing. There were so many, like, early television, there were mostly Westerns. Okay, I mean, it was, yeah. And Bonanza. And all Gunsmoke, of that. Gunsmoke, yeah. All stuff. Lone Ranger. That, Lone Ranger, yeah. Wild Wild West, all, yep. all these that just, that is what defined film and television for a good 20 years. Yeah. And I remember, yeah, and I remember taking a class uh, when I was in college. It was it was a film study class, and they were basically saying that their theory, at least the, the the professor's theory, was they pretty much told every story that could be told with the Western genre. So it was kind of hard. Yeah. And, so and some of them were told several, several. Oh times. yeah. So they were getting really repetitive, and I think that's when you needed your Unforgivens to come in and kind of do it a little bit. A little bit different you still have some sort of structure but you can modernize it a bit well, that, that, that's why they sort of had they sort of had like a 20-year break you sort of right. had sort of by the time that john wayne was done filmmaking yeah in the late 70s and that's when clint eastwood sort of moved on from westerns like he'd still make it like outlaw josie wales was like 76 i guess yeah yeah um that was sort of like the end of even then, by the like the 10 years before it was sort of on its last leg was like, yeah the, and actually an know, underrated one for him in the 80s would have been like pale rider well, pale rider's phenomenal yeah but I mean, you still yeah it's like you still see you still see some sort of remnants i mean um um robert redford was still making some stuff sure there were still westerns in the 80s but it was it was until unforgiven came out came along that they really sort of jumped back and then like tombstone Yes. Uh, oh, Young Guns. Yeah. Young Guns, the remake of 310 to Yuma, the remake of True Grit. Yep. All kind of came along and sort of, whereas we had the neo noir in the 70s and later, and then we sort of had the neo western. I think people are kind of missing out, especially people of my generation that are kind of. They're too afraid to too afraid. do anything. And, yeah. And, and they're, they're missing out on breathtaking filmmaking and some I agree. amazing performances because some of these actors. The roles that they had in these horror films, I mean, horror in Western films, Westerns, yeah. Even even people who are character actors. So you had um, Walter Brennan, someone who I oh I, yeah throughout, and he could play so much different. He could play a villain in My Darling Clementine or the yep. funny little sidekick in Rio Bravo. Yep. Or and these people were Academy Award nominated actors for these films. Oh yeah. And that's and that's what people are kind of I, I think missing out on is the. The, the filmmaking and the performances and like just how good these movies are. One really good one. That's not a traditional Western at all, but it is kind of like a Neo uh, Western is uh, hell or high water came out a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. Like, because it's, it's not your, you know, your horse and <laughs> horse and buggy, but it is in Texas. Uh, you kind of have like that sheriff and the two outlaws that are, that are robbing banks and everything. But oh, uh, yeah, yeah, it's great. And then they had no country for old men and like, Oh, oh totally. Totally yep. neo Western and yep. all the better for it. And that was, that's been lauded as a phenomenal film. Yeah. And it is up to the ending, but um, yeah, <laughs> I agree. Um, but yeah, and I think, I think there's so much. And then you, I, something that I always appreciate was Westerns that really sort of looked at the dying days of the West. Yeah. So John Wayne towards the end of his career really, really did that stuff like big Jake, where it was sort of, the last hurrah of the horse and saddle. Right. He was still better than the, the, the cars, but you could tell it was sort of getting to the end. Oh yeah. Like they were oh, still yeah. pointing, like pointing at him. Like you kind of need to move on. And then of course the shootist where he's sort of adopting, like you see John Wayne riding a, riding a trolley car and 
all this sort of stuff. I mean, of course, he made a lot of non-Western films, but for a John Wayne Western to be looking at all this sort of stuff and looking at the end of the West and discussing that the West needed to come to an end. Yeah. That, I think, is a really mature kind of filmmaking that people are missing out on. Well, it's kind of prophetic, too, because it's towards the end of his career as well. So, yeah. Well, as always, this was great. We we kind of we we went more into the Western genre, which it was good because uh, but the bottom line is it, this is definitely in your top 10. It's definitely in my top 10 for Westerns. And uh, I, I think if you're if you're shying away, you're younger and you're shying away from Westerns. This might be a good one to start with, because I think it holds up as well as any of the the older films. And, and the DVD is like five bucks on Amazon. If you don't have five bucks, like, <laughs> there like you really, go. Like it's it's worth five bucks. <laughs> or if you have cable, if you, oh, I don't know, do young people have cable anymore? I don't. But, it's yeah. pro- it's, I think it's on streaming at this point. It's probably on Amazon Prime. That's or, true. Or go to your grandparents' house, and I'm sure they'll they have, have the VHS. They'll uh, have they the VHS. All they all do. <laughs> Thank you so much, Joseph. Thank you, Brian. This was wonderful as always. All right, we're back with Bill Roseberry from the Metal Mike Show. You'll know him from from the Metal Mike Show on thatmetalstation.com every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. They always have a, a great time. You'll hear the promo later in the show. Uh, but we're going to talk about arguably one of the greatest Westerns of all time and one that still holds up today, and that is The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance from 1962. Uh, one, welcome, Bill. And, and two, are you a big Western guy to begin with? I am. Uh, my grandpa, my 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 mom's father was a huge John Wayne and Clint Eastwood fan. So from the time that I was a small child, we were watching, you know, John Wayne movies and Clint Eastwood movies when I was a kid. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had like big Jake is probably my, for me, just personally, my favorite John Wayne movie, because that's one that I've been watching my entire life. Uh, matter of <laughs> fact, I'm, I, I just started, I put it in every night when I go to bed. I know this is kind of lame, but, you know, I still still live alone. So, you know, uh, as my girlfriend and I get more serious, maybe this this will change. But my <laughs> life is every night when I go to bed, I pop in one of my movies. Sure. I lay there and I watch it till I fall asleep. And I do that over days on end. So I watch stuff. So you've had me on a John Wayne kick since I watched The Man with oh, good. Shot Liberty Valance. I watched Atari after oh, that. Nice. Which isn't isn't a uh, Western, but now I'm going to watch Big Jake again. So, um, But The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, oddly enough, I was turned on to by Metal Mike. There you go. Um, I mean, I this was one that I saw in adulthood. I had, I had never seen it. And uh, Mike turned me on to it. He has it, and he let me borrow it, and I absolutely love it. It's one of my favorite John Wayne movies. I think the plot structure of this movie for the time is phenomenal because it was so, so much more in-depth than a lot of movies at that time were. You had some twists and different things that... A lot of times, plots were pretty easy to figure out. I think in some of the older movies, especially uh, for a west, especially for especially Western. for a western. Yes, you're right. And and this movie was it had a dark side to it oh, and yeah. everything that I mean, it was just great. I think it was a game changer for westerns. Oh, I agree. For, and, the, and mo- the, for the modern westerns. Yeah, and and, yeah. and the last great film for John Ford, who who directed so many amazing westerns. Right. Especially- 
with John Wayne. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things, and I brought this up, Joseph Staub was on uh, talking about this film as well. Uh, the use of making this black and white instead of color, I think, was a huge, huge deal and, and a good choice. Because if this was in color, I think it's an entirely different movie. I'd, I'd agree with that. I would agree with that. I think um, I, I think that the black and white uh, added to you know the the mystique of it, right? And um, and and just made it seem more more classic, uh, most definitely. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I sometimes forget that it's as new as it is, nineteen sixty two. I mean, exactly. it has more of an early fifties feel to it, right? You know, right. With, with it being shot in black and white. One of the other things that I love about this movie, and it's just kind of a small idiosyncrasy to it, and I, I think we've talked about this before, mm-hmm. is the makeup. I mean, I think the early going, I mean, a lot of times in the, the older movies like that, the makeup stuff was kind of cheesy. You know, they didn't do a good job, I think. If they were trying to age someone or do something like that, it, it didn't work very well. The way that they did the makeup on on Jimmy Stewart and uh, uh, Vera Miles and yep. uh, Andy Devine and even um, uh, Woody Strode yep. there at the end when they're all back in the community. I mean, it looked real to me. I, I you know, it didn't seem like, you know, like I said, it seemed like they were aged to me. You oh, know, I which agree. With CGI I and, 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 and I thought that added a lot to the movie because you're already kind of drawn in. You 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 can see like the age on them and the, like life has kind of beat them down. All that's there. I mean, great acting too to get to that point. But I just thought it was great. I also liked at the end of the movie. You know, when when John Wayne knew that he was losing Hallie to to ransom, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to Rance, and and he'd done what he'd done. You know, with you know to to, to help him there with liberty sure. balance. The way he just looked beat i i get hard on myself sometimes i've been through this where i there's a girl that i'm really into and i'll go off the deep end and i just i'll just get hammered like that and just kind of just completely lose my shit you know and kind of just be hammered i'm not i i've never burned a house down good i'm glad i haven't gone that far i haven't (laughs) gone that far but but i've fallen down in my yard before and stuff and yeah and, and broken things and and there's John Wayne, you know, driving his wagon. I mean, you know, shouldn't do it, but I've driven a car like that in situations like that or whatever. I mean, it was, it just seemed, I really connected to that part, his pain and, mm-hmm. and, but he was doing the right thing. You know, he, 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 it became bigger than him and he knew that and it kind of broke his heart and broke him as a man. But I thought the way when he comes to see Rance, at the at the uh, convention there, uh-huh. um, and the way they had him with the stubble on his face, and just he looked like he hadn't slept in weeks. Just looked like he he looked like he had quit giving a fuck about anything, you know. Right. And it was like again, there was the, you know, he didn't look like that stoic John Wayne that you're used to. He he looked like a broken man, and you're not used to seeing John Wayne look that way. And all those little idiosyncrasies of this movie added to it 
it made you connect with the characters more, I thought. Oh, I agree. And I think that that's why this is an important film in John Wayne's career, because he was already a superstar at, at this point. Jimmy Stewart was a legend. But John, I mean, John Wayne was the one that really carried films at this point. And he was pretty much I don't think he gets enough credit as an actor because I think people are just, well, he's playing himself. Uh, but this film kind of shows that death, like you were saying. Uh, the other great part about this film, which I think holds up today, is some of the subjects we're still dealing with. So you have Jamie Stewart, James Stewart's coming into town. He's educated. He's a lawyer uh, coming into a town where most people aren't educated. And, uh, you know, you kind of they kind of live by, you know, look, we go to work. You know, we don't have time to go to school and right. uh, to get anything done. You need a gun, you know, whereas Jamie Stewart kind of comes in. He's like, well, you don't necessarily need to commit violence to get things done. But it's a right. nice balance because there are times when you need a John Wayne to come in and deal with a, a villain like Liberty Valance. But on the other thing, you still need someone with the education to come and turn your your land into a statehood. So it's a nice little balance that I think even today is still uh, very pertinent. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it, this this movie holds up over time. Um, like you said, it's just. The, this the the plot structure and the storyline of this movie are are are, are phenomenal. And they're classic. I mean, I don't think this movie will ever old get old. You know, I mean, it doesn't. It's not really going to age. I mean, the only guy, the only guy that may that overacts and kind of does that is uh, is uh, Edmund O'Brien. You know. Mr. Mr. Peabody gets a little carried away sometimes. That's a newspaper man. Yeah. Yeah, but he was great though too, and I and I loved, you know, I loved him. As, sometimes I watch that though, and I'm like, hey, all all us newspaper guys aren't drunks though. <laughs> I don't think. I mean, I don't know. I like to drink quite a bit too, but I don't know oh. that I'm. As drunk and as as uh, Dutton Peabody, but well, many many famous writers were were alcoholics. So yeah, yeah I know, that's, that's I know. Thing. Well, yeah, <laughs> and and it's you know you think of the main three people, of course, John Wayne, James Stewart, and Lee Marvin. But yeah, what carries this film are the character actors like Edmund O'Brien, Andy Devine, John Carradine. Uh, you know, there's so many great great people. Woody Strode, the Pompey character, is a great character too. Oh so, yeah, and Woody yeah. Strode was a guy that was was great in a lot of John Wayne movies. He's like one of those guys that was like in his little clique, you know, yeah. over the years, you know. I I we haven't even talked about Lee Marvin yet. I no, ex- adore, exactly. I yeah. adore Lee Marvin. Absolutely love him. And I thought he was phenomenal in this. He was such an asshole and uh I mean him and John Wayne, those scenes, they just you're on the edge of your seat. Oh. You know, when he when he knocks that stake out of his hand and the mm-hmm. and Jimmy Stewart knocks him down, the stake falls on the floor and he's laughing at him. And John Wayne's like, pick it up, Liberty. <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, that's my stake, you know? And, uh, you know, they're getting into it there and they're going to show off. And then Jimmy Stewart's like, for crying out loud, <laughs> I'll get it. And he picks it up and yeah, yeah. And he's so pissed off. He's like, it's a stake. You're going to kill each other over a stake. Yeah. And it does kind of show just, how stupid that macho shit is sometimes, you know, but it's, it's, that's a, I'm glad you brought up that scene because it, that's the perfect dichotomy. Yeah. yeah the, the rational side of Jimmy Stewart and the, you know, like the feral, uh, primal instinct of, yeah, don't, don't fuck with me. You know, you fuck with me. I'm going to fuck with you back. And I get both sides because you, you can yeah. get that way, but you, yeah, no, it, it's, it's great, but you need, 
with with villains, you need a strong villain, and it, this movie wouldn't work if Lee Marvin wasn't the villain. And I'll tell you right here, though, in that in that scene, mm-hmm. if if Tom isn't there to confront Liberty, yep, Rant, Rant's trying to use book knowledge and, and intellect with Liberty wasn't going to work out too well. No, he he's either so. going to get his ass beat again, or he was going to get shot. Get shot. Yep. So exactly. it needed Tom to step in and put Liberty in his place or though. No, no, those people would have been screwed. You know, what exactly. was interesting about it too was, at, but as Rance came to town and he started kind of standing up to Liberty, even though before everybody just kind of got behind Tom and was like, well, Tom will take care of Liberty. We can hide back here. But yeah. even, you know, even like uh, Link, you know, the 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 uh, sheriff, he was even kind of standing up to uh, to Liberty there at the end, you know, and and, and uh, you know, Liberty didn't like that at no. all. But but Rance was starting to put some confidence into these people mm-hmm. that they could speak their mind and stand up for themselves. And I also loved who they used for Liberty's gang. I mean, for them to have. You know, Struther Martin and Lee Van Cleef oh, as his yep. back backing guys was phenomenal. Hey, did I, you know? Yeah. Did you know Struther Martin was a uh, an Olympic swimmer? I didn't. I didn't I, know that. I, at all. I learned that from uh, my dad's best friend. I was talking about right as I'd watched this movie that I was going to do this, and he was over at my parents' house, and and Keith was telling me that yeah, Struther Martin was an Olympic swimmer. Wow. Really good athlete. Because <laughs> when you think of him, you think of uh, what we got here is the failure yep. to communicate. Yep. Cool and Luke. Luke. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah. another great one, too. But but no, I mean, Lee Van Cleef and Struther Martin, they just look the perfect part with Lee. Lee Van Cleef just, he has the perfect bad guy face. You he know? does. So, he does. And so, most people uh, would go on to know him from all the, the Clint Eastwood uh, spaghetti right. westerns. Yep. Right. But I mean, those two guys backing up Lee Marvin, they were a scary looking bunch. And you know, it was it just it just worked really well. And boy, I mean, Liberty Valance with that whip, man, when he'd break that whip out and start oh, whipping yeah. people, it was yeah, he was he was a son of a bitch. He, he great, great villain. Great villain. Yeah, and that and that strength, because uh Lee Marvin was in the military, you know, before that. And so John Ford really had a respect for him because, you know, he was he was an officer in World War Two. So or it might have been Korea, but around that era. And uh, so the structure of acting for him uh, came from from the military background. I think he really, you know, got into those characters. He wasn't anything like that in real life. But what a voice. Liam Marvin also had an amazing voice. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. I I liked how he would call everybody dude in there, too. Yeah. Just a good little. I mean, I don't know. I I always I I enjoy Liberty Valance. I I'm a guy that kind of. A good villain, man, I will get behind him. If they're a strong villain that sticks to their guns, like I it took me a long time to like to like Joaquin Phoenix, you know, mm-hmm. after watching the Gladiator. Those types of villains. Um I still hate Billy Zane to this day from Titanic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I watched Titanic, I was like, what a fucking asshole. Those types of villains piss me off. But villains like Liberty Valance, who he's just he's gonna stay true to form, you know. I mean yeah, you know he's not a weasel for he's just an asshole, you know. Right. I and mean, there's and there's no like reason, those. There's, right. there's no reasoning with him. There's no remorse, no. and so no, all of the evil. all of the yeah, right. yeah, exactly. And so all the book learning from Jamie Stewart, it's not going to matter because no. that's where you need, uh, you know, J, uh, John Wayne to come in 
and he doesn't have to reason with him. He just has to use his, his strength and his brute force to get rid of him. Yeah. I thought it was, I, I like the ending too. When, um, uh, when Hallie and it's the, the Hallie character, boy, is she really complex because, you know, I think there's a lot of people that get caught up that you can't, I mean, I, a lot of people don't think you can love two people, you mm-hmm. know, or whatever at a time. And, Obviously, she loved two people. Oh, definitely. I mean, because and and Rance knew that there at the end, you know, when he was mm-hmm. like, "Hallie, I was thinking that maybe we could come back out out here and I could start a little law office." What do you think about that? She's like, "Oh, Rance, you don't know how long I've dreamed about that." And mm-hmm. and then he asked who put the the cactus rose on Tom's coffin, and she said, "I did." Yeah, you know, and he just kind of turns his head, and you know, he. You know, he he knew he knows that, you know, she gave all that up for him, you know, and that had been it's been hard on her, you know, but she did it for herself because she knew if she didn't without Jimmy Stewart, she's not going she's still going to be in the kitchen. You know, she's going to be at that little little that little diner. So um, she would have never been the person she was. And she was smart enough to realize that, too, that he he was a gateway to something bigger. Um, And as much as how much power that Tom had, um, there is power and knowledge too in education. Yeah. So Tom's yeah. Tom's power only went it's temporary. So far. Right. Yeah. Where, where Rance's power took him all the way to the US Senate. I mean he uh, became a huge deal. You know, Tom just ended up becoming an old farmer that died, you know? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. They, that and that's the great part about the movie. Both people are needed. Both yes. people are needed. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. It was just so great. And, and you know I don't think I think it gets lost sometimes that how how great John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart's oh, chemistry yeah. was on screen. I mean, they were great together. They really were. Absolutely great. They really complimented each other. And people forget it. You know, Jimmy Stewart was in a lot of Westerns, too. So. Oh, yeah. Um, um, oh, my God. What's the one I got upstairs? Oh, it's great. It's he's got a bunch of kids and his kids start getting killed. Uh, um some of his kids get killed, and he has to come back and stand up against. Oh, mm-hmm. I can't. Uh, I have to. I can't. Well, he was in. He was in uh, like Win- Winchester uh, seventy three. Um, no, that's not the one I'm thinking okay. of. Though the but, Naked Spur. Yeah, he was in a lot of westerns, but yeah, he's been in, he's been in a ton of them. But yeah, the one I well in the Shootist, obviously. Sure. Um. Yeah, I loved. I loved the Shootist. Um. That was Shenandoah. That's what I was. Thinking. Oh yeah yeah. Have you mm-hmm. ever seen Shenandoah? I have. I have. Yeah, it's a great, great Jimmy Stewart. Yeah, so this is, uh, I, I think if people are new to Westerns, I think this is a great one to start with because it's not, it almost doesn't even feel like a Western at times. So. No, no, absolutely. I mean, if you like, if you really like plot structure in your movies and and and, and stuff that's going to make you kind of think and 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 look deeper into into something, this is, this is a good one for you. And I, like you said, great. Great acting, for oh. sure. I mean, it's it's very very well done. It's it's one of the better westerns I think of all time. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, as always, thank you so much, Bill. <laughs> no problem, man. It's so much fun. All right, we're back with Eric Sinzak. Welcome back, Eric. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me back on. Absolutely. And uh, before we even get into the man who shot Liberty Valance, uh, I'm assuming you're a huge John Wayne fan. 
Oh yeah, I watched uh, John Wayne films growing up with my dad, and uh, just as getting old, getting older, I've I had a, grown to an appreciation for some of them, and uh, probably you know haven't seen. I haven't seen all of them, of course, because it's just there's he oh, made a lot of movies. And uh, but I, I'm trying to go through and find John Wayne films and and find and watch more of them. So. Mm-hmm. So are you a bigger John Wayne or Jimmy Stewart fan? Yeah, that's a good question, because uh, <laughs> I like them both. Yeah. And, um, you know, you know, it's funny because I like Jimmy Stewart uh, just, you know, the real life guy. Yeah, and some of his military exploits and and a lot of the stuff like that. And John Wayne, you know, he he wasn't in the military, but he was a huge supporter. And I like, yes. you know, all the stuff that uh, his tribute stuff that he did for military. And but his cowboy stuff was amazing too. So uh, both of them are just uh, huge icons of the past, and I love just stuff about them, just anything real life and film work. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, J- Jimmy Stewart by far. I mean, that guy. He, you know, he practiced what he preached, and uh, he, I, b- I believe he enlisted multiple times uh, during World War II. So, um, you know, and then when he came out, he went back into acting. But yeah, a true, a true hero and and a man of uh, honor. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we'll get into the film, and one thing that really struck out or stuck out to me for this film was a lot of these scenarios that they're going through, and this is supposed to kind of like the old west, but it's like the new west we're still talking about today, <laughs> you know, you could yeah. you know, education, uh, whether you, you're, if you, if you want to take out someone, do you do it by force or do you do it by education? And it's a little bit of both. So watching it today, uh, what, what messages, what principles still hold true today to you? And, uh, and, and I, I'm assuming you feel this, this film holds up really well, uh, today as well. You could, you could play this film today in, in the theater mm-hmm. and people could watch it and still take away the principle from it. The same as it did when it came out. Yeah. It, it still has the same value as it did back then. Um, and I think actually it, it teaches quite a lesson. And I think every young person probably would benefit from watching this movie because it's so poignant. Yeah, yeah just, and, and, and please expand on that. So, what are, what are the lessons that uh, that you would you would if you were sitting your son down or something like that? You know, just a you know, hey, this this is what I I hope you get out of this. Well, I think the whole time that he's trying to keep from, you know, he's trying to keep his sense of center, his moral center, while mm-hmm. he's dealing with the worst elements of the West. You know, when he's going out there, he's he's trying he's definitely fighting for law you know yeah, jimmy jimmy stewart jimmy is, stewart yeah. is yeah, yeah sorry um you know rance stoddard is the character of rance stoddard is is a centered in law and mm-hmm. he he does not he does not walk toward violence no matter how much people push toward violence right uh and and he's basically saying i'm going to give the law to these people and uh, you know, as he goes to the shin bone, they say, you know, you're, you're going to have to fight no matter what right. you're going to, you're going to pick up a gun at some point. And he says, I won't do it mm-hmm. no matter what you tell me to. So he, he keeps his moral center the whole time during, during the film. And it it's, it's amazing, you know, and that's something that's a lot of films, you know, 
as you as you get older, you watch films and you think to yourself, you see people have a bit of a flaw and mm-hmm. they they wind up OK with it. Yeah. And in the movie, they're like, OK, I've got a flaw now because I did this, but I have to live with it and I'm OK with it. And it almost makes you sad because movies nowadays sort of glorify that flaw that people right. get. But this film teaches you to to stay away from that, teaches you to keep yourself, you know, stay true to yourself. Absolutely. And I love that it's not, there's no right or wrong here. Like you need both men. You need Tom, which is the John Wayne character and Rance yeah. because they're both uh, right in their own way. You absolutely need the law and you need education. And, uh, you know, they're fighting for statehood because that's how civilized, <laughs> you know, uh, unions right. do that. But on the other hand, how do you deal with someone that is lawless like Liberty Valance? You know, you could do everything the right way to the T of the law. Uh, but it's not going to matter unless you have someone like Tom Donovan to uh, stand well, up. Yeah. To. Yep. Well, Tom. Yeah. T- the character of Tom Donovan, when when he he pretty much the whole time, he's he's diametrically opposed to the beliefs of of uh, Rance Stoddard. But right. He's he's understands his point. You know, mm-hmm. he never tells him you're wrong, but he <laughs> tells him he says you got to do this, but he doesn't right. tell him you're wrong. So that's a pretty interesting way he comes up comes across. So I I like the way that uh, John Wayne plays this character. He plays it with heart. He plays it with uh, you know a sweetness to it. Um, it's it's a it's a joy to watch this film because the way it's played, and uh, you know just the way that these characters are in this. He's tough when he's got to be tough, but he. Yep. You know, he's he's a, a sweetheart when he's got to be a sweetheart and he shows, you know, what what's right and what's wrong. So I like that's why I, that's why I like this movie. Yeah. And I love how each uh, man like they, they really complement each other because both yeah. of them have something that the other doesn't have. Yeah, absolutely. It's a temperance between the two of them. Absolutely. And yeah. uh, and look, I, this film doesn't work as good as uh, James Stewart and and John Wayne are without Lee Marvin. This film doesn't work because you need a, an amazing <laughs> villain. And Lee Marvin yeah. is as despicable as it gets. It, every scene that Lee Marvin comes into when he's in the bar, when he's. When, yeah, I mean, as Liberty Valance, I mean, it, as without him playing that character. You know, especially after he's like, you know, he beats him up at the stagecoach. Yep. You know, and then he comes in and it's almost like, well, I didn't, you know, how do you know I did this and everything? And there he's like, you know what you did and everything like that. It's like people, you know, he he's almost daring them. Yeah. You know, and the whole bar wants to say something, but they they won't, you know. No, they're too scared. (laughs) They're they're just all too scared of him. And he, he just he presses that tension. He just keeps pressing that tension during the whole film. And that's great because that's that's a true measure of a villain because he doesn't have to, you know, show force. He just has to command presence of evil. And that's yeah, I love that way that Lee Marvin played that he just he just played it with a commanding presence of evil during the whole thing. 
and, and no morals at all. Like he is. Yeah. There's no rhyme or reason. Like he's just bad for the sake of being bad yeah. and, and nothing you can like, do about why it. Why are you so evil? Just because I can be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, there are other great character actors in this film and uh, whether it be, you know, obviously Edmund O'Brien playing, playing the, the newsman, Andy Devine, who is just the, you know, such yeah. a, the, the worst sheriff in town. You know, this is <laughs> there's so many great character actors in this. Oh, and also, what are what are some of your favorite scenes? Because uh, you, you rewatched it not too long ago. Uh, yeah. So probably I like the scene where he's washing dishes and he's just like, <laughs> you know, that he just won't stop washing dishes. And they're telling him you got to stop, you know, and it's it's he comes to a, sort of a, a nice realization during all that. And it's like he has to step out there to the into the dining room and mm-hmm. Liberty Valance is out there. And it's sort of like he, he has to go and and meet him in in the middle, you know, and that's where it's like, yeah, you know, I, I don't want to go out there, but I got to go out there. You know, it's yeah. that, at that time. It's like and that's that's a that's a really interesting moment where he's like, I don't have a weapon or anything on me, but I'm I'm going out there with nothing but sheer guts. And I, I like that. I like that scene. That's a that's an interesting scene. You know, and it's like they, he knows that they're out there, but he steps out there anyway. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, no, I was just saying an interesting thing. You brought up Andy Devine. Uh, <laughs> you know, he had the he's got an amazing, uh, re- very recognizable voice, oh, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, just a, such a incredible voice. And so, you know, I know you had done some stuff on some Disney films, so he, he had so, so, so well, uh, so many uh, acting voice acting parts in Disney. Yes. Films, so a while back, I'm a big fan of Disney films. So uh, it was nice to you know, pick up his uh, poignant voice on, on this film. So, oh, yeah. It's, it's like this high-pitched squeal. He's like, ah! You know, <laughs> oh, <laughs> Sheriff! Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> and oh. I loved... I loved old time radio as a kid and he was, uh, he was part of the Jack Benny show a lot and, and being yeah. on the radio, he was definitely, uh, that voice, uh, always came through. And, uh, yeah, if, if speaking of Disney, uh, if you watch the animated version of Robin Hood, he plays Friar Tuck. Absolutely. That's yep. absolutely my favorite Disney film of all time. Oh, it's me too. It, it's yeah. such a great version. It's so, so much fun. So many great, uh, voice actors in that film. So what? Uh, some final thoughts on this, and uh, and and how often do you rewatch it? You know, I've I watched it years ago growing mm-hmm. up, and then I watched it once again uh, a few months ago. Uh, so it's been quite a while, but I'm probably gonna you know sit the boys down. Yeah, because uh, they they've <laughs> it's hard getting the kids to watch black and white films. I get it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you know, turn off the Xbox. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell but, you, you know, you bring up a good. I don't think this movie would have been as good. Uh, it still would have been good, but I think black and white actually makes it better with the shadows and the darkness of it. Yeah, especially the gunfight scene at the end. You know where it yeah. John Wayne is. You know where it's <laughs> where you're not really sure. You don't you know, know. You know where 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 Liberty Valance is shot, but it's like you know who shot him. You know exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's uh, it, without that, if it had been in color, it would not have been as. Uh, tricky you know that well, it's been like it's been like in the nfl with instant replay you're not sure <laughs> you know it's inconclusive right. <laughs> right yeah but you know it would have been painfully obvious that uh jimmy stewart hadn't pulled that you know gotten a gotten a shot at him so that's right that's yeah. right but um but yeah i like i like this film a lot and i think it's uh, a treasure 
And I think I'm really glad that, uh, you know, we're able to still watch it and enjoy it nowadays. Yeah. And again, I think and I've had two other guests talk about it, too. I think this film really still holds up incredibly well today and uh, and a lot of the issues that we still face. So I think uh, I think people should definitely check it out just for that. You know, that alone, I think it would be it would be good. Yeah, absolutely. Well, as always, thank you so much, Eric. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Come hang out and chill with Brian A. Davis and the Bad Beat. Wednesdays, 11 p.m. Eastern, right here on ThatMetalStation.com.